Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today we are talking to How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, which premiered in 1961 with music and lyrics by Frank Lesser, who you will recall from Guys and Dolls, and book by A. Burroughs, Jack Weinstock, and Willie Gilbert, based on Shepard Mead's satirical <laughs> 1952 book of the same name. How you doing, Hannah? No, you know, I'm doing fine. I can't wait to talk about this uh, business-themed musical in a time when the entire economy is shut down. Um, you know, that sounds like fun to me. Um, I'm doing okay, though. I'm in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, doing remote classes because uh, my theater program obviously is not meeting in person. How are you? I am all right. For those of you who are listening to this in the future, the context here is that we are in the middle of the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic, which is the only thing that could get us recording again, <laughs> uh, because we have less to do than we usually do. Um, it has been, so let's see, the last episode of any sort that we did for this podcast was a mini-sode about the revivals of Oklahoma Carousel and Kiss Me Kate, which we released on June 29th, 2019. Okay. Wait, but what about during your wedding? We did a little mini-sode, right? So we did. We did do a little mini-sode literally on the morning of my wedding in a <laughs> hotel room with a live studio audience of people in my wedding party. But I never got around to uploading that because I was kind of lazy. What? And it was like, I'll, I'll get to it. Because it was always like, okay, like the idea of mini-sodes is to sort of tie the audience over before their next reg- regularly scheduled programming. Right. But there was no actual episodes in sight and we're basically in the middle of a two-year hiatus so i thought it's like what's like what's the point of putting this episode up now as opposed to like three months from now is what i've been thinking well you should release it like tomorrow and then as like an anticipation for this episode to come out true or i could release this episode and then release that late i could release that on my one-year anniversary oh that's cute it's another move but that's uh long anyway we'll figure this i might get to it because also i didn't have i have a new computer and i had never downloaded audacity to it so basically to explain to everyone hannah and i have been very busy uh (laughs) in the past year and as i mentioned so june was last content of any sort we did the last time we reviewed an actual musical in our list was Camelot on February eleventh, oh twenty nineteen. No wonder we didn't come back. Camelot is such yeah. garbage. Uh, we have rated and reviewed twenty four musicals. Camelot yes. is in last place with <laughs> six points out of sixty. Six points. And for context, the second worst musical, Pajama Game, has three times as many points Pajama as Camelot great. at I, eighteen. I, I'm remembering Pajama Game fondly. I don't know what I said on the episode. But. I think we were bored yeah. and. It had no historical significance. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Camelot, we were also bored, and it had no... We, it, but Camelot wasn't just boring, it was actively bad, I it think, was, was is the issue. horrendiferous. It was so... It was... Like, I want those hours back, you know? <laughs> I feel like people are kind of bored about our personal lives. Mm-hmm. They don't, the listeners don't really care, but it has been a, over a year, it so has. why don't we update a little bit? How, what have you been up to in this past year? Oh, God. Um, I've been in grad school for acting. Um, I spent the summer at the Williamstown Theater Festival, which was super exciting. I got to play Orlando in Sarah Rule. Orlando, uh, which was definitely like a dream role. I got to meet Sarah Rule. Um, she's incredibly lovely. No one will be surprised to hear. Um, and then I've just been in my second year of school trying to get my life sorted. <laughs> um, I've had like a lot of summer plans canceled, obviously, because of coronavirus. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens next year. It uh, turns out it's really hard to learn theater without doing theater in front of people. Um, so that's been an interesting adjustment, but I'm 
also very lucky that I'm, you know, have access to the things I need and, you know, I'm not suffering. So, yeah, yeah but I miss people. Yeah, everyone misses everyone. I, I won't spill any official secrets um, or like actually say any of your like, I won't actually say what your summer plans were this sure, summer, but yeah, suffice, suffice it to say everyone that there were there were big plans there and big it, plans. we wouldn't we wouldn't just be two jokers who have nothing to do with like like the New York Broadway off Broadway scene commenting on this. We would have been one joker who has nothing to do with the Broadway off Broadway scene and one person who actually is part of that scene. And now that's not Thanks, it's not uh, going to happen this summer. <laughs> not going to happen this summer. Maybe next summer. But if, maybe yeah, next okay. summer. Um, um, yeah, on my end, so I've I've gotten married. Yay! Um, that was actually the yeah. most important part of my year. I should have said that I married Jeremy to Sarah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you were the best wedding officiant ever. <laughs> I like surrounding myself with people who are professional theater people. So, I, I mean, Sarah has just blown up in the past year as a stage <laughs> yes, manager. She's Sarah. she's a she's a huge deal. She uh, was just stage managing an original musical by Greg Cotis, the guy who wrote You're in Town. Um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it opened, and then like after the first weekend, it just had to close because of the virus. Right. Urintown is pretty decent. Though. I love That's, I love uh, Urintown. Yeah, Urintown is destined for like a like forty out of sixty when we finally oh, yeah. get to it in three years. I yeah. wonder if there'll be a revival soon. I actually think that musical could be great right now. Yeah, Maybe. I guess so because I recently went to see Penn Players, my college theater mm-hmm. company. I went to go see they did it and yeah. um it was like all freshmen, so they were it was like one of those things where it was a bunch of children wearing suits <laughs> that are too big for them playing <laughs> businessmen. Which, uh, which, which we'll get speaking of how to succeed in business. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but they, they did a valiant effort for okay. like a bunch of 18 year olds. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So there, there were definitely elements of it that are more applicable to the present day than there, than were like when the musical even came out, but there were other parts of your town that did feel a little dated. I mean, but it's we'll, no Camelot. Yeah. No, it's no Camelot. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I remember seeing it as a kid. And it was like a little bit like dirty and avant-garde, you know, when I was like, I don't know, 12 and seeing it. I was like, oh, this is a big kid musical. I was in year in town in senior year of high school. That makes sense. Who'd you play? Two roles. I was officer. You were a cop. Barrel, I know you were a cop. The, se- the secondary cop. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I also, in the first scene, Bobby Strong's dad who pees and gets sent to year in town immediately. I, yeah. I also was that. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, such that a was, good conceit. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. Yeah. Greg Cotis is a nice guy. Look at me name dropping. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a big deal now. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not a big deal. I just, I just like to surround myself with people. So how about how to succeed in business without really trying? Okay. I mean, I have a lot of opinions. My biggest opinion is it's just funny to watch right now and it feels so dated. It's completely white. Um, the gender politics are really abysmal. And I do think the man playing the lead in the film had a very punchable face. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, like, I love Robert Morris. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, I mean, it's it's just so dated. And in, even in a way that, like, I think three years ago, like, pre-Me Too, it wouldn't be as glaring. But I was listening mm-hmm. to the song, um, A Secretary is Not a Toy. Yeah. I was like, this is so hard to watch right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I felt like, yeah, even five years ago, it wouldn't have been as bad. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we will get to yeah. how this played five years ago, maybe more like 10 years ago right. when Radcliffe did Radcliffe, it. Radcliffe, who I love. Um, I love Daniel Radcliffe. I love him too. How, what is your experience with how to succeed in business without really trying? <laughs> um, I am not very familiar with the musical. I'll be quite honest. I've never seen it live. My family saw the revival with Daniel Radcliffe, but I couldn't see it. So I just heard about it. 
and watching the film was the first time I'd seen it all the way through. I knew the Brotherhood of Man song, kind of, but really that was it. So I would say of the musicals, this is one of the ones I was least familiar with coming into it. What about you? Were you- I have seen- No, no. (laughs) I have seen it one time. So Sarah- um, after she had already taken a gap year and was like a successful professional stage manager, inexplicably then stage managed a Penn Singer's production of How to Succeed oh, yeah. <laughs> in Business Without Really Trying, um, which I went to go see because I'd never seen the show before. And this is, I think this was maybe already Broadway binge era or about to be. So I was like, I should start like collecting, mm. I should start collecting these old classic musicals so I can say that I've seen them all. Sure, sure, sure. So the politics of it are not great, <laughs> but... It is a musical that is designed to be like fun to watch, and it is perfect for colleges and high schools and middle schools, which sure. have been doing it forever. I don't know how much we're going to see it in the future, because just in the past couple years, just... Yeah, office culture. Yeah, things have just changed just in the past couple years, but mm-hmm. like up through a couple years ago, I feel like this was like, you know, the sort of thing that anyone could just yeah. do, and like no one would... No one would balk at it. I finished it, and I literally, though, I was like, was there a single person of color in this show? Well, there were no people of color in in New York and Midtown offices in in 1961. It was like so, yeah, I found that to be so glaring and sad. The civil rights movement has not happened yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just found that. I'm wondering, like, I don't know enough about the recent revivals. Did they have, like, POC in the production? I would would imagine they have to. So let's see. So it opened... In 2011, the Dan Radcliffe most recent revival. Mm -hmm. I just, I think even before I was starting to think about like the gender politics of the show, uh, which obviously I was like, but um, I was sort of like, this is literally in the title. It's about a mediocre white man. Like the point is he's not good at his job. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I had a hard time not watching it through that lens. So I I think part of the way that it can work is that it's seen as a condemnation of Mm-hmm. office culture of the time and so all the things we look at and say this is really bad that they that the office is like this right the show also takes the perspective that those things are bad mm-hmm. now the the problem is if it was just a show about this sort of office behavior this behavior towards secretaries is bad right and you should not emulate it right then that actually wouldn't be such a bad thing the problem is that it does it in a sort of winking boys will yeah, be boys way exactly right saying like this, this is bad but we know you all do it in the audience, yeah. and it's not that bad. <laughs> right. That's sort of the the attitude I feel like it, yeah. it gets across. No, I felt that too. I, I to be honest though, I'm now I'm like I'd be really interested in seeing the Daniel Fish version of How to Succeed in Business. Daniel Fish is the person who recently revived Oklahoma yeah. in a very strange way. <laughs> um, in an I, yeah. excellent way. In an excellent way. I liked it too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so maybe we should just get into it a little. Do you want to give like, a the, summary? Yeah. I or do. I'll give history. a summary about the, about the history. Okay. So, so this came out in 1961. We are firmly in the 60s now. We enter the 60s with Camelot. And <laughs> we sort of talked about this in the past, uh, in both the late 50s and getting into now, that in the beginning of our show, there was very much an evolution of Broadway from this sort of light musical comedy where there were songs that had nothing to do with the plot into an integrated show where suddenly the songs were about the plot and that Mm -hmm. began sort of with showboat all the way back when our first episode 
and that really was the evolution, and things get more serious and more dark, and Rodgers mm. and Hammerstein, they still have humor, but these musical comedies have really turned into musical dramas, and that was the evolution towards more and more serious until you finally get to West Side Story, which I think is the best show we've reviewed so far, but the people mm. at the time were a little like, eh, this is, this is a little too boring, like dark, not boring, it's too dark. When I go to the theater, I want a light musical comedy. <laughs> this is post-World War II. People, they wanted something different. So mm. West Side Story... Though a hit, a minor hit, it <laughs> lost the Tony for Best Musical that year to The Music Man. So uh, which, weird on reflection. But that goes to show what people yeah. were into. Yeah. So the the biggest hit of the day, or not the biggest hit, but one of the big writers of the day and someone who was sort of maybe seen as the best musical writer of the day was Frank Lesser, who did right. music and lyrics. He did Guys and Dolls. He did other shows that were skipping, like Where's Charlie?, and he did this show, and he was sort of this big deal. He had a lot of money. He bought MTI at one point, uh, which owns a lot of rights to a lot of musicals. Mm -hmm. Music Theater International is what that stands for. Actually, it appears he started MTI in 1952. Oh. Um, so even now, when you want to do a musical, if, it, if the rights are owned by MTI, you have to buy a license from MTI before you can put up that musical. And he also started his own publishing company in 1950 called Frank Music Corporation. And 1950 was the year Guys and Dolls came out, so he was a big deal at this point. And it was initially created for him to publish his own work, but he eventually supported other writers, most notably Richard Adler and Jerry Ross, who are a team who did The Pajama Game and Damn Yankees, I believe, were their shows. Hmm. And he also, uh, through this publishing company, sort of brought up Meredith Wilson, who... Right was someone who, as a middle-aged man, wrote his first musical, which was The Music Man, which Not is a bad. bigger hit. Yeah, probably a bigger hit than any of these other ones How soon we're talking is Music about. Man? Oh, wait, have we already done Music Man? Shit. We did it. Fuck. It's been Sorry. so long. It's, it's <laughs> okay. It's been so long. Um, yeah, Music Man came out in 57. That was episode 21 of Broadway Binge. This is episode 25. Thank you. Wait, I'm so a, that would have been true? Yeah. a year and a half ago. <laughs> Yeah, we, we let's. How do we like a Music Man? A Music Man. I think is we liked it ultimately. Right in the, so we've reviewed twenty four shows, and Music Man came in at twelve, so right in the right in the middle. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's gonna be because we sort of front load this thing with like a lot of really great Rodgers and Hammerstein. So I right. feel like even though right now Music Man's right in the middle, it's probably gonna be It'll better than the midpoint. Oh, you think? I so? think it's gonna. I think it's gonna because right. I think we're gonna do some bad musicals in the sixties right now that yeah, none of them true. are gonna be as bad as Camelot, but they're all gonna be like. <laughs> bottom middle is my guess i was jeremy recently sent me the list and i was like oh it's rough road ahead for a little bit well i'm excited for next episode which is a funny thing happened on the way to the forum yeah uh which i guess i mean it's it's not sondheim's best but it is his first broadway show where he did the music and lyrics and that's cool yeah i'm excited to talk about sort of the evolution of sondheim for sure yeah um yeah so there's that and there's a lot there's a lot more good background information about that like deleted songs from yeah. like that never made it to the Broadway version that he has since recorded on anthologies. Like there's a lot of ancillary material cool. um, that we're going to have for that, that we're not going to do for how to succeed. Ancillary material. Okay. Anyway, so how to succeed. Sorry. Yeah. Frank Lesser. So this was his show. Um, the book writer was a Burroughs based. He sort of a Burroughs took a book, which had been written by these, these two other guys, Jack Weinstock and Willie Gilbert did the first pass at the at the book. And then uh, A. Burroughs, who worked with Frank Lesser on Guys and Dolls, mm -hmm. sort of polished it up and brought it back to that standard of excellence that the Broadway audience had come to like. And I, I'm not saying excellence <laughs> that like I necessarily think it's no, the no, best no, show yeah. ever, but you know, like, it, like, like for the time, like this was like as yeah. this was as popular as it's possible to be uh, for a show. Sure. There was another choreographer who was credited as the main choreographer named Hugh Lambert. 
but he ended up really not being up to snuff. So they sort of brought in Bob Fosse to actually oh, choreograph the whole show. And this is not one of those shows that's known for like Fosse choreo. But... I, see, I was talking about it with my partner and she was saying like, oh, I think of it as a dance show. And I remember when people saw, uh, when my parents saw How to Succeed, they were like, Daniel Radcliffe can really dance. But I guess maybe so, that yeah. was just a surprising thing. <laughs> like maybe it was, I, I bet you it's because we don't think of it as a dance show. This is my theory as of five seconds ago, that it's like a little more impressive when they do dance because you're like, they're in suits and they're men and they're dancing. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's that the Broadway versions have always had really good dancing, sure. but this is a show that is so often done by children who can't <laughs> dance that we think of this show as a, as a show where the ensemble stands still and just like sings a little bit off key. Yeah, I P.S. now this is making me like wonder if we were to make, you're going to hate this, but if we were going to make our list of like, Top 10 shows that feature children in miss-sized suits. <laughs> I'm, I am so down for that, yeah. that ranking. I feel like Annie, weirdly, is on the list. I don't know. Interesting. I've never actually seen a live version I of guess Annie. I've seen multiple movies. Two. I just have memories of a ch- as a child of seeing. Um, wait, the film of Annie, sidebar, is incredible. Bernadette Which Peters one? is in it. Oh, oh, a film stage version, you're saying? Or, the, the, the or movie. The film film. The movie movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Face yeah. plays Miss Hannigan, um, legendary. I have to look this um, up. I can picture her. It's so good. It's the role I want to play. Um, isn't um, isn't Frank and Furter in Cheryl it? Isn't Cheryl Cannon? Um, yeah, it's Cheryl Cannon. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Uh, Carol Burnett. <laughs> Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. Yes, that, yes, you're right. Genius. Hold on, now I have to know what the cast is. Keep. I'm sorry, I'm really derailing us. We're, 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 we're such know-nothings just listening to our garbage podcast we have no to right. learn things. We have no right. You know what, though? Broadway Man 5 was correct all <laughs> along. Man, that really hurt us, huh? Um, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Like, I've been listening to more podcasts recently than, which is to say, not zero podcasts, maybe like two or three. Um I feel like people aren't listening to most podcasts to engage with expertise, you know? That's why we no. go to the news or like, you know, Ira Glass or whatever. But like people go for like just hearing a, an engaging discussion. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think this is I think this is a good podcast. Yeah. So there you go. I'm defending our lack of knowledge. Although maybe it's, that's a little... It's, it's good enough. Antithetical because I hate this musical because it's about unqualified people. <laughs> but that's sort of true work. to life. Yeah. So I guess, so I've basically covered the, the his, oh yeah, so Tim so Curry, sorry. I just Tim found Curry, the yes, cast yes. for um, Annie. Okay, yeah, okay. That, that, that was what made me realize I'm unqualified for this is when I called him Frankenfurter and couldn't immediately remember the name of the actor. That's, oh, you that's said, really I didn't hear damning. that. I didn't hear you say Frankenfurter or else I totally would have known. Bob Fosse received a musical staging by credit, um, and A. Burroughs, the book writer, explained in an autobiography many years later that basically they realized Hugh Lambert wasn't going to be good enough to choreograph the whole thing. Like, he'd choreographed one good number, and they'd chosen based on that, but he couldn't really choreograph the rest of the show. He so only- they brought Fosse in <laughs> to do all the other numbers, but Fosse didn't want to... And this is kind of nice and interesting, because you always hear about Fosse being like, kind of an asshole Mm -hmm. but apparently he didn't want to ruin Lambert's career by having him fired so he agreed he insisted on just getting a musical staging by credit whereas Hugh Lambert would get the main court but then I I have this book where it has like reviews snippets of reviews of all of the old musicals and it's funny that like the reviewers all knew it was it was Fosse Fosse. so like the ruse was you know like everyone was in on it I guess I really relate to the guy though who's like I only have enough talent for this one number you know that's like when you audition for a musical and you're like yeah i could play the mandolin um then you can do like the one song and then you get in the room and you're like oh no 
Anyway. Yeah, so that is basically the history of the show. It was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. People loved it. This book I have, this really great book, Opening Night on Broadway Mm -hmm. by Stephen Susskind, which compiles reviews and sort of organizes them into like, how many raves did each show get? How many positive reviews? How many negative reviews? How many pans? And this was like seven, this was like seven for seven raves, which I've almost never seen before. So this was, it's, it would be difficult for a show to be as beloved Mm -hmm. upon coming out as this show was. You know what? I, I wonder if, like, it makes me think a lot about demographics. Like, I remember seeing Spam a lot, literally, as a kid and noticing, like, oh, all of the, like, middle-aged white men who always go with their wives to the theater are coming to see this show. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder if, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like How to Succeed more so than anything we've reviewed so far is kind of about the people who are the patrons of the theater at that time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it was such a hit, because it was making fun right. of... Midtown New York businessmen. Yeah. And they were like, I feel huh. seen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they feel, and, and it's making fun of them right. and it's criticizing their lives. And that's why I, I don't think it's like, a, I think there is a lot of merit to this, mm. this show because it really is, it, it's sort of like how the court jester could say mean things about the king that anyone right. else would get beheaded for saying. Sure. And it sort of might force a little bit of self-awareness in in the king yeah. that he like no one else could get away with with imparting right and yes the court jester is winking and being friends with the king and if right. the king is a horrible tyrant who's killing people the court jester is like yes part of that court right but the king might be better for having listened to the court jester and the court jester's motives are good so thank so you like, for summarizing king lear <laughs> yes so yes i mean so i guess what i'm saying is Right now, we don't need how to succeed. Right? No, I, I, I hear we, you though. In terms of like, we, we, we do yeah. not need this. But right. when it came out, it was basically saying like, "Hey, businessmen, this is all kind of fucked up. Yeah. What you're doing, right? And like that is a good thing, I yeah. think. And just because it's not good now, I think then yeah. the fact that it could get all these businessmen laughing and be like." hey, sexual harassment of your secretaries is really bad and you shouldn't do it. Right. Like, wink, wink. We know it's okay if you actually do it a little bit, but like, come on, like tone it down a little bit. In 1961, when we didn't even have civil rights yet, yeah. that's probably the best we're going to do. That's I don't know. sad. No, yeah, <laughs> I, I do feel, I hear you in terms of like social critique at the time. I mean, again, I, I just can't stop thinking the last thing we did was Camelot, which had nothing to offer us culturally. Um, I guess they're like, don't burn women at the stake. I don't know. Um, but I don't even know if it had... Wasn't there like really happy music during the burning scene? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still trying uh, wait, to... I'm not, I, pull, I'm actually, I'll pull it up. Pull it up. Pull it up. <laughs> Let me actually find it. This is the sound of burning at the stake. Honestly, this is satanic. I think a beat's gonna kick in. What? Okay, enough. Stop this. Never enough. (laughs) Stop this. Sarah, make him stop. (laughs) Sarah has uh, her own headphones and she's playing the Final Fantasy VII remake right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I don't want to be seen as like, like I'm, I really don't want to be seen as like a sexual harassment defender. That is <laughs> no. absolutely not what I'm trying not to do. Not Jeremy Berman. He's... <laughs> no, yeah. I guess the point I'm, I'm making is at least this is criticizing sexual harassment, mm-hmm. which probably literally no, like there's probably no other art 
in, in the, 60s the entirety of the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah, like like in mainstream that is mm-hmm. criticizing sexual harassment and identifying that it even exists. No, I hear that. I hear that. And no, yeah. I'm like inclined to agree with you that like of the moment, you know, it like the fact that they even addressed it. You know, I did notice though in that song, um, maybe we should play a clip of the song, A Secretary yeah. is Not a Toy, which is sort of the one we're Let's talking around. I did notice like in the film, which I assume is quite similar to the cast, uh, excuse me, to the, the original show. It's very, very, very faithful adaptation. Yeah. yeah. They, like, have this song, and the men are all in business suits, and the women are in their secretary outfits, but, like, unrealistically, they're pleated all the way up the leg. So when they dance, they're, like, showgirl, like, doing these kicks, and it, it's very, um, and, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I was, like, that's the winkingness, you know, yeah. that you talked about, where I was, like, okay, but, like, this is still a highly sexualized image, where we're, like, don't look, but look, you know? Um, yeah. Do you mean there's, like, a slit all the way up yeah. the leg? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Not a pleating. Sorry, I mean, pleat, I, I you're feel, wrong. I feel like all of, wrong. <laughs> I feel like everyone wore pleated Jeremy things back then. would know more about uh, women's fashion uh, vocabulary than I would. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I know about, like, historical things. Yeah. Um, here, here is a bit of a secretary is not a toy. Gentlemen. <laughs> Gentlemen. <laughs> a secretary is not a toy. No, my boy, not a toy to fondle and dandle. Playfully handle in search of some puerile joy. No, secretary is not, definitely not a toy. Yeah, that, that, that gets yeah. you the gist of yeah. it. Wait, we never talked um, about the plot. Oh yeah, so there was in, there was this sort of um, satirical book from the late fifties right. called "How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying," which is about like basically how to succeed in business like it doesn't it doesn't even matter what your business is actually of if you just sort of schmooze people and like play the corporate games you can advance so you have this character uh j pierpont finch who was just a window washer with no skills who never actually does anything for this company and just by following the lessons in this book he manages to eventually become the chairman of the board of this company yeah and what makes it so funny is that, like, yes, even though no one could really do this whole thing in two weeks like he did, it sort of rings true that success in the corporate world is often as much a function of mm. your charisma and ambition right. as it is of actual ability at the job that you're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I mean, you're in the corporate world, so you can confirm. <laughs> yeah, so I, this, so it's, it is interesting because I do work in a midtown Manhattan office building at a law firm, which is, like, a little different from the corporate world because, like, you have to actually, like – practice law but like it's but like the but just sort of going to the office sitting in the office the office politics that's all not that different and it's, it's sort of funny because when like the original broadway production of this which you know you, you can see pictures of online and a lot of subsequent productions have copied it has these very sort of colorful yeah. flat like scenic elements with sort of like sharpie on like the like yeah. dark marker like everything is very 2d and like glitzy and you sort of see stuff like that when you're like you know a kid and you're seeing guys and dolls had not similar art style and then it's interesting to watch the movie of this and the opening uh shots are sort of these like uh helicopter shots of Mm -hmm. midtown manhattan with all these skyscrapers that were built in like the 60s that are still around today that people still work in today Mm -hmm. and it's like wow this is so like this is my actual world which is so strange but yeah, there, there's elements of it. I mean, it's just so weird. Like, like there are secretaries in my yeah. office. They're all women. Right. There's like an interesting sort of class difference yeah. um, that existed then and now. Like you, you notice in a secretary is not a toy. We didn't get to this in the bit I played, 
but the men all sing with sort of non-New York accents, like sort mm-hmm. of just generic American college-educated accents. They could be from anywhere USA, and all of the women have New York accents because right. they were all, you know, like like lower class, like maybe they went to college, maybe they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in regional accents are like, they sort of get ironed out when you go to college yeah. very often. And oh, all the women, all the women in the show, they make them all speak like, like, um, yeah, it's, it's oh, like, Mr. It's like uh, Mr. Finch. Yeah. You know, it's Mary yeah, exactly. Like a poison can develop. A a <laughs> uh, wrong, wrong musical, but like yeah, the same, that's good the same idea. What's that and, and, and this, poison. uh, guys and dolls. Thank, oh Jesus. Yeah, and, and that sort of continues even in newer musicals that take place in the older times, like in Little Shop of Horrors. Right. Seymour speaks in just sort of a generic American accent, a little bit New York y, mm-hmm. but then uh, Audrey uh, is yeah. like, Sutton, yeah, yeah, Seymour. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, ma'am. Well, it's, it's sort of still that way. Like like now, yeah. like like in my office, like you have all of these, like, like there's definitely more men lawyers than women, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of messed up because like going into law school and people who graduate law school it's very 50 50 now but when you look at the partner ranks and that is not 50 50 yeah you would like to think maybe that'll even out in time as the current youngsters age into the partner age but that is definitely not the case yet but the secretaries are all women mostly non-white whereas Mm -hmm. the lawyers are mostly white Mm -hmm. and it's it's very it's it's not not good it's not good Yeah. yeah yeah Um, well, okay. So then, I mean, I feel like we should jump off of this, um, to talk about like the few songs that women do sing and how to succeed. Um, suffice to say this musical does not even come close to passing the Bechdel test. The main women are like, there's the one who's lusting after Finch and her, literally her big song is about how she like is excited at the prospect of keeping his dinner warm. Shall we play a bit of it? Yeah, let's play it. My wedding photographer was in New Rochelle. <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have to go up there a few times. Oh, I remember him. <laughs> so oh, the woman who hired him is, is the one who we would go visit. Right. Okay, where's. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. What do you think the audience is supposed to feel about her in 1961? Like, are they supposed to be like, oh, this isn't like, like this is so old fashioned? Or are they supposed to think like this is good? I, I don't, it's hard to say. Yeah, I think it's honestly like, well, it's hard to know now. But I think what I find a little eerie about it is in some ways it doesn't seem winking, that song. Like, it seems sincere. Like, I think you're supposed to connect to it. Like, in the same way. You know, I think Little Shop of Horrors has a little more distance, but like when Audrey sings about somewhere that's green, like the things she mm-hmm. wants are quite typical as in terms of like what's expected of women. Yeah. It I really th- feels like somewhere that's green is specifically commenting on this song. This song, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like the, that's what's sort of what's troubling about the show for me is like it just takes for granted. Like it, there's no critique of the fact that women can't have jobs or that like women, you know, while they're like you can't, sexually harassed her secretary um the women in the show like have no role or really like um want or need other than to be uh marriageable to these men who have money yeah. you know notably in the revival i forget which song they replaced one of the lyrics um one of the songs with uh new lyrics about how to 
like acquire your husband's financial assets. Do you know about this? Yep, here we go. Act two. Um, so there's the song Cinderella, Darling, um, in the start of act two. And it says, in the 1995 revival, this song was replaced with a reprise of How to Succeed with the lyrics suggesting ways in which a woman can get hold of a man's financial assets. Ah, uh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, cause I, that was not in the movie. Yeah. And I don't remember seeing it in the college version I saw a few years ago, so mm-hmm. that's probably just been excised. Cinderella, darling. But let's, yeah. you know, I've never listened to it. Let's actually listen to it. Because it wasn't it in should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How often does it happen that a secretary's boss wants to marry her? Hallelujah. <laughs> How often does the dream come true without oh, man. a sign of conflict or Jesus. Makes me think of thoroughly modern Millie. That is a show that was really, really good in 2002 and totally doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, this also just doesn't sound like that good of a song, so um, good riddance. Yeah, anyway, I mean, I am sort of feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but um, suffice to say, like, the women, you know, are really only there to be in love with the men and hope that through marrying them they can... Um, have some sort of financial power uh, in the world is my yeah. hot take. That's not really a hot take. It's not a hot take. Yeah. Um, it's nothing you say is a hot take is ever a hot take. <laughs> Shut up. It's been, over, it's, been, like... it's been over a year. Wait, wait, it's been oh. over a year and this hasn't changed. This hasn't changed. Pause. pause. I'm suddenly like, I would be interested in seeing the drag version of this show. Okay. I'm just trying to think yeah. of ways I'd be interested in it. Um, like, I feel like that could be fun. The whole show in drag. <laughs> Yeah, it could that could potentially work. I mean, anything's fun in drag because it, it it heightens the fact like right. that makes it way more. Yeah, because like we're saying, the good thing about this is it's criticizing 1960s business office culture. Right, and the bad thing about it is that criticism is very wink, wink. Boys will be boys. Yeah, perhaps a drag version <laughs> that is explicitly making fun of the show. Yeah, while still singing the catchy songs that you want to hear the catchy tunes to. Right. But being way more explicitly like we are making fun of this book could be good. Maybe that maybe that could work. Okay, well, piggy tailing, piggy tailing, what piggybacking on that? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you consider the catchy songs from this show? Oh, there's a lot of catchy songs. Because I oh. don't know that I was like humming a lot of them. But so tell um, me, tell me what you kind of left it. Oh, so like. I'm just, I'm just looking at the list of the numbers. I mean, just how to succeed. It's, yeah. That's not a catchy song, but I like that. Um, uh, I'll play it the company way. I see. Yeah, I just was like, whatever. <laughs> whatever the company's up there, well, I'll stay. I guess what I'll say that's, is that's like, a fun song. No one's like singing songs from um, How to Succeed in Business like at a cabaret. You know what I mean? Well, maybe they were then. But like rarely. Like people like, you know, in the way that like, maybe it's because we're pre-Sondheim. But there's songs, you know, from musicals we've talked about that are like standards. Not just because they're good, but because it's like True. so, you know, like like you can really put flair on it. I feel like these songs, because they're like grounded in a like, you know, office or something. I don't know. Like they, they're yeah. not. Yeah, that, that might be it. It's too much of a book musical. So there's not like yeah. sort of just a generic love song you can sing outside I get, I mean, the context. Yeah, not to say like you can't sing songs that are about all sorts of topics, but I'm just like, notably, like I've never heard someone be like, oh, you know what I want to do? I want to do a crazy cover of a song from How to Succeed. He's thinking. Da, 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 da. Wait, because also the big love song is a trio. Right. 
so you need three people to sing it. Yeah. And that is harder to do. I kind of sound that bad. Um, in unrelated related news, Shoshana Bean released a cover of Heaven on Their Minds. Oh. It is so good. Is this like a new coronavirus cover? I don't know. It's on Spotify. Because everyone's doing stuff. So I, my theory, and like, don't, don't hold me to this probably binge listeners, but I feel like you have all these big name actors who are way too good for this podcast who are sitting at home right. literally doing nothing right. because Broadway is closed indefinitely. I feel like we should be able to get some good guests. I, I don't know. You know, I think so. Um, I think it's, if not now, when? <laughs> at, at least middling guests. <laughs> okay, least. but don't say that because then we're going to get someone and they're going to listen back and be like, what am I, a middling guest? No, they'll know they're a good guest. Okay. If, if, you're on, if you're on the show in the future, you're, you are a good guest. You're a good guest. Don't pay attention. <laughs> yeah. um, you should listen to that Shoshana Bean cover. It's fucking great. I do. I like I like having on their minds. As yeah. you know, I think I rated that my favorite Broadway song of all time when we did yeah. that list. Oh, God. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that show. Yeah, I know. We're not that far. We're getting to the 70s. Good. We just got to make it through the 60s, and then we'll be at the 70s, wait. which I think is the best decade. Wait, also, I found this out on Instagram the other day. Andrew Lloyd Webber is making a Cinderella musical. Yeah. Have you seen this? He's he's making a Cinderella. I, I'm like doing the air quotes. So, my fingers. We'll, we'll see if it gets What's great made. about it is that literally the course of the big song, which they released, she's like, Call me bad Cinderella, I will not say goodbye. Like, she literally calls it bad Cinderella. <laughs> oh, my God. He hasn't written a good musical in, like, 20 years at least. I respect the man. More, more than 20 years, because it's 2020 hey, now, so he hasn't written a good musical since. I actually don't even know. Um, I he wrote a show it. called The Woman in White that I really liked that I saw when I was a kid. Okay, so there you go. Many soda but um, check out the Cinderella that he's working on. Oh, I know. So let's think. Catchy songs. This music. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the I, I believe in you. I believe. Wrong. <laughs> I like how like the men say, "Gotta stop that man," and then it like yeah. goes into, "I believe." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sixties. Yeah, there's some good this, like. This, is it soft shoe like the tapping video? I guess so. I mean, the, the orchestration is just so 1961 Mad Men in the best way. Yeah. We'll talk about Mad Men in a second. Okay. Let's listen to this song. Big deal. Big rocket. Thinks he has the world in his pocket. Gotta stop. Gotta stop. Gotta stop that man. This is my jam. Oh, look at him standing there staring at him. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. This is orchestration. You know it's pretty. Yet there's that up. The flutes. Turned, the 60s flutes. And that this is the prototypical instance of 60s flutes in a musical. I like that song. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. No, it's, well, I'm yeah. also like, it's such a dated even style of singing, you know, like it's so like old Broadway crooner, you know, like it's so, I don't know, I think about singers of today, like the Jeremy Jordans, you know what I mean? It's such a different style of, of vocalizing. Oh, the, Robert Morse, I mean, so like the, the men who all were singing together had the sort of voice that I would expect of 40s, 50s, 60s Broadway. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, stop that, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, Robert Morse, though, was kind of weird even for then. And yeah. he was so unique. Um, Daniel Radcliffe was a great choice for mm-hmm. imitating him. I agree. I, watching it, I was like, oh, what? That's kind of great casting. Let me actually find Daniel Radcliffe singing that same song. But also, like, 
I find Daniel, maybe it's date, just because of the datedness or because Daniel Radcliffe holds a special place for me. But like as a performer, I find him um, infinitely more likable, you know? Okay. Like he has a twinkle in his eye in a way that this guy like annoys me. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not great, I mean, but you're not there do. for a singing voice. Yeah. Better than I can do for sure. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of him singing How to Succeed because I feel like sure, Ben sure. he's not holding pretty notes. Yeah. How to apply for a job. How to advance from the mailroom. How to sit down at a desk. How to dictate memorandums. How to. <laughs> Okay, I, th- yeah, I think it's fine. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's good enough. Okay, I'm looking at some notes I took when I was watching the movie, and I just want to uplift lift a couple moments. Um, yeah, one is the big scene where he's giving his presentation to the boss, and the boss says it's a good plan because it's all about penetration. And I think he says the word penetration like a number of times in this scene, unironically. Um, and I just want to note that. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, the course of one of the big songs, uh, it says mediocrity is not a mortal sin. Um, and it's just to me, it just made me laugh because I was like, oh, this so wouldn't hold up now. Like we're so over like uh, praising mediocrity, essentially, particularly with. Like, no, but I feel men. like, no, I think I think it actually would hold up because I think they're saying in the business world, mediocrity succeeds and that yeah. is funny and bad like like in the same way that we make fun of mediocre white men and that is a punchline no, people mm, tell people tell jokes about that i know this but whole it's in the scene where he's saying don't fire everyone but he's because they're all mediocre yeah yeah but he's saying that because he's also me i think it's making fun of all it's sort of saying like all these people suck mm-hmm. i hear you but also they still don't get fired you know what i mean yeah because it's sort of reflecting that in real right. life in the real business world of the 1960s and today, you can get away with being mediocre, right. and like that, like this is commenting on that. Yeah, but like, like I mean, that that's the reason this won the Pulitzer Prize. Right, I know, I can't fucking believe the show won the Pulitzer. But I mean, that that's the reason because like they wouldn't just give that to any random musical comedy. They they gave it to it because this is commenting and satirizing. This is like the only work that really effectively satirizes that business culture, at least like at that point. This is the first thing to do it. Yeah. It is saying like, look at how ridiculous this all is. This is a ridiculous <sighs> world in which nothing really matters and people are getting paid money for not doing any work of any note. Yeah. And it, it really is like, yes, there is too much of a wink. There's right. too much of a boys will be boys, but it really is the whole point of this really is to make fun of that world. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that we make, like, we make fun of that world now, we make right. fun of it in a different way than this did. Our way of making fun of it is very different. But this is also making fun of that world. Yeah. I just need more from it. But, like, I, I hear you. I hear you. The other thing I wanted to uplift is um, during the sort of the big love song we were talking about. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the main woman? Um, Finch's love uh, interest. Uh, uh, Not Rosemary? Uh, Rosemary, right? Rosemary. 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 <laughs> yeah. um, she Rosemary. says, <laughs> once she's sort of like thinking they are going to go on a date, she says, what what female kind of trap should I spring is an actual line of hers that is not said as a joke. Like that is yeah. her um, next thought. <laughs> and there's yeah, really I, th- I think that. I think the gender politics of this are all messed up from a modern perspective, but I will actually defend the, the way that they're just... No, 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 sorry. I will defend the way they're criticizing office culture yeah, yeah, okay, outside, yeah, yeah. outside of the sexual harassment thing. Yeah. The way that they are making fun of... Like, they're saying, like, 
these people are all mediocre and suck and none of them should be having these jobs none of them should be getting paid this money because they all just are like garbage <laughs> i think that holds up and that mm. is still true of today and it's it's the gender stuff where this all yeah. doesn't hold up i mean i, guess- I, I do th- i do think the criticism of like this this like useless guy with nothing but charm has a book and just like cheats his way to the top i think that really does hold up well and that's why people are still doing the show in high schools and colleges and stuff and the parents all go and they laugh because it still is incisive it's incisive 50 years later or 60 60 years later god jesus christ yeah yes 60 years later yeah like Jeez, that's so sad. Okay, well here's because back thing, when it was fifty years later, that was like oh, okay, fifty years. Yeah, that's 50 still, like it's still less. Yeah, but sixty. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. here's my thing. It's though. still incisive. Here's my. I think this is part of like a larger conversation that we're having a lot in the theater world right now, which is about like, is it actually useful to even like an easy example is like do taming of the true right again but like we're pointing out what's wrong or it's like no we should actually just do something else that holds people accountable and like how when there's not a strong enough critique and if and this is again this is like sort of a moralistic argument about like how we should make social critique and critique in theater um but some folks feel like to just you know do it and it's like oh it is pointing at the thing is actually not enough because at the end of the day everyone goes home happy and so there is like are we reinscribing that? Because like people are going to be singing the song, you know. Um, but again, I also know like how to succeed in business was not created as like an activist piece of theater in 2020. <laughs> and that for the 60s, you know, it was doing its best. Yeah. yeah. And I also would not recommend, yeah. if someone was like was suggesting like, that they're thinking of, of reviving this, I would recommend they not do it. Like <laughs> I, I, I agree with you that the show yeah. does not need to be done right. anymore. I, I, I agree. I'm yeah. just defending that yeah. I think it was. Yeah very good at the mind so you're gonna have a high rating in the the way that like there's shows like kiss me kate Mm -hmm. where or carousel (laughs) yeah where yes it was more socially acceptable when it came out Mm -hmm. but even when it came out i already think that you and i like young new york leftists well i guess you're not new york yet (laughs) but like young young new york leftist hippies even at the time would watch those things and probably think that they're not good right i know that my my grandparents who grew up at the time never liked carousel because they thought it mm-hmm. was pro spousal abuse yeah so like shows like that just because right. the majority of people in america thought it was cool at the time doesn't mean that like it was actually cool at the time yeah right no i mean that's a good point that this is like new new waters in terms of like some form of social critique yeah i think this is different from carousel because i think at the time this was sort of making an incisive useful commentary of mm-hmm. office culture yeah totally. and though though it does not hold up i agree with you it does not hold up yeah I, I do think it's in a different position than Carousel. Right. Was. No, I hear that. I hear that. All right, so you hear it on Broadway binge. Uh, how does it succeed? Not as problematic as Carousel. Yes, I, I'm. I will stand by that. <laughs> um, I feel like we should rate this sucker. Oh, do something else you want to say? Yeah, a little tidbit we haven't discussed yet. Okay. Uh, so Robert Morse. Did you ever watch Mad Men? No, I actually haven't seen any Mad Men. I'm sort of a TV idiot. Mad Men is so. Mad Men basically is like. So in the in, we were sort of saying that this in its time was a good critique, but it's no longer a good critique of the '60s because it is too leaves you smiling. Mad Men is about basically this exact same world. It begins in 1961. It takes place in an office that looks very similar to the office in this show, but it's it's an ad agency, so they actually are producing product, and the sort of gender politics are the same, except because it's a prestige drama from the 2000s it is very explicit this is all bad. Mm-hmm. And like one of the main characters is a woman who's a secretary and ends up becoming you know, a partner at the ad agency mm-hmm. and people 
uh, there's a lot of sexual harassment and it's very clear like this is bad right. and this is not rootable and this is not funny. So it sort of is – there is a way to critique this exact culture in the present day and Mad Men was it. And interestingly, uh, Robert Morse, who played uh, J. Pierpont Finch in the Broadway show and in the movie, plays the sort of elderly partner in charge of this ad agency. Whoa. Like he doesn't appear in most episodes because he's like it's very much like he helped get the ad agency off the ground and was like one of the founding figures of the ad agency. But he doesn't like go into the office every day and still make ads. He's just like one of the partners in charge. But he shows up every now and then. He's like very funny. He's like sort of like a funny old man with like a lot of quirks. And it's it's very much like he became the chairman of the board in uh, How to Succeed, and then like fifty years later is then you know playing the cha- the elderly chairman of the board with all the new young people trying to like get up the ranks. That's actually really interesting and kind of awesome. Yeah, and then in the in his final episode cuz eventually he dies in the show. He's alive in real life, but he, in the show he dies um and after he dies like he sort of appears to the main character Don Draper playing John Hamm and does this like sort of like musical number like where he like dances and sings and it's 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 fun. So uh so Robert Morris basically, like, he had, like, roles on Broadway. He had some small TV work in between 1967 when this movie came out and 2005. But he basically, like, was not really a big deal. And, like, this was, like, his one big thing he was famous for. And then 50 years passed and, like, no one remembered who he was. And suddenly, like, he's getting nominated for an Emmy every year for Mad Men. Which, not anymore. The show's over. But, but yeah, that's uh, that's fun. That's fun. Should we rate this baby? Let's rate this sucker. Okay, so um, to remind everyone who hasn't listened to the show in a year, we're going to each give it a 1 to 10 score on how important is it, like how much has it changed either Broadway or American culture, how relevant is it to the evolution of Broadway or American culture. Then we're going to give it 1 to 10 on was it good. If we, with our own idiosyncrasies, were our current ages at the time when this came out, what do we think we would, how do we think we would have liked it back then? And then we're going to rate it on, is it good? Which is, New Revival gets put up in 2020. Let's assume that it doesn't get Daniel fished and made into some like amazing new thing. Like, like let's, let's imagine the Daniel Radcliffe version came out right now in 2020. How would we give that 1 to 10? Compared against all of the best musicals that we have today, like Hadestown. <laughs> <clears throat> also, like, who am I kidding? This show would not get revived in 2020. There's no Broadway in 2020. Ay. It'll get revived in 2021. So was it important? This is tricky. Yeah, I'm teetering in terms of how high I want to score it. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a seven. Okay, cool. I had a seven and then I changed it to a six. But you know, and it's as high as it is because of the reasons you outlined. Yeah, it, it like it won a Pulitzer or Pulitzer. We've we've had this exact same argument in the past, and and we probably came with an answer, but I don't remember. It won a Pulitzer for a reason. Um, it was really good commentary, and also in terms of how important was it, you know, we talked about how Broadway was now evolving away from the sort of musical drama and back to, like, the musical comedy satire, and this was a really good example of that. It has been performed so much since then. That's why I'm giving it a seven. I think six might arguably be a better score, but whatever, it's too late. Okay, I, this is maybe controversial and I'm regretting it, but I tried to really be generous. I gave it a seven for if I'd seen it then, because I feel like I take to heart what you said, like, Hannah in the 60s would have seen it and I would have been like, this is a good critique. Like, I probably did, wouldn't have had the, you know, obviously the mental state that I have now. And I think like as, I agree with you that like as a human at the time, I probably would have been like, this is a really incisive, self-reflective piece of theater. Um, but you'll think, see um, what I say about it in the present now. 
You know, I, th- I think that's because I think again, like I don't know how much art there was that even identified the existence of sexual harassment. There would probably be a lot of people who, if you ask them, is there is sexual harassment a thing? Probably ninety percent of office people would have said no. It's not even a thing. Yeah. So, um, so I think that is useful. I'm gonna give it a nine. Because <gasps> it wasn't good. Um, because and I'm sort of influenced here by just like reading the people who were were, were rating these shows. So here's just some excerpts I'll read of of back then. Here's a review of, from Howard Taubman of The Times. It's an open question whether big business in America should be warier of trust busters than of this new musical. The antitrust watchdogs can crap a mean whip, but how to succeed applies a gigantic hot foot. It stings mischievously and laughs uproariously. Big business is not likely to be the same again. It will be so busy chuckling at its reflection in this impish mirror of a musical that it won't have time to do big business. But you can bet this show will. It belongs to the blue chips among modern musicals. Let Wall Street and Madison Avenue tremble as the rest of us rejoice. Hmm. That's, that's useful to hear. Yeah. Here's another one. John Chapman of the Daily News um, talks about how Guys and Dolls was the definitive musical about low life in New York. Last Saturday evening, practically the same crew as Guys and Dolls offer the definitive musical about high life in the city. This is not the high life of social doings and misdoings, but what goes on in upper reaches of an office building. What goes on here is murder. Murder by stiletto, by poison, by decapitation. This splendidly sardonic account of big business is an example of perfect musical comedy construction. Swift, sharp, jam-packed with characters and incident, and clear-headed as it moves unerringly through an interesting and funny story. Lesser is the perfect man for his end of the show, the songs, for he is cynic without being tough, from Walter Kerr in the Herald Tribune. Not a sincere line is spoken in the new A. Burroughs Frank Glasser musical, and what a relief that is. It is now clear that what has been killing musical comedy is sincerity. How to Succeed is crafty, conniving, sneaky, cynical, irreverent, impertinent, sly, malicious, and lovely. Just lovely. What most distinguishes a sassy, gay, and exhilarating evening is, you'll never believe this, the book. A. Burroughs has done it, with acknowledged help from Jack Weinstock and Willie Gilbert. But what has happened is that, for the first time really, an entire musical comedy has been fashioned along the deadpan and deadly lines of Mr. Burroughs' celebrated piano parodies. This is, and perhaps I should whisper it, a musical with a mind. A bland and caustic kidding of the American success story goes on all evening without ever losing its frosty and lunatic attitude. Gags are subordinated to the impish running commentary. Mr. Lester's perky score is subordinated to the merry malice that is afoot. Meaningful fantasy is given its head, and the point of view grins and glows for its own cocksure effrontery. I mean, that's real. Yeah, that's real. I was tempted to give it a 10 because people loved it so much. I thought maybe I would. But then I think, like, I would still be the same person then as I am now. Yeah. And the ones I'm giving 10s are the serious shows, like Oklahoma, South Pacific, West Side Stories. So I'm going to give it a 9. That's still better than I usually give these things. Okay, fair enough. Now, is it good? Now, just how do we like the show right now? All right. It's true that I gave it a 1. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I'm going to give it a 5.5. Okay. It has a lot of problems. It's still, I would say, a dec- like a good night. Like, I did go see it a few years ago, and I think I had a good time. You Do you so. remember it? The version with Radcliffe? No, no, no. The, the Penn Singers version, which is filled with small children wearing giant wearing suits. giant suits. <laughs> so, that means our total score is 35.5, which puts it at 15th place out of... 25 okay uh, behind anything goes right ahead of pal joey and then when we do the thing where we incorporate how long the show ran to get an objective measure so the the run of the show was 14 17 which is a five give us a five out of ten because that's about half the amount of time that the longest show so far which is 
My Fair Lady ran. So that adds us a five, and that gets us a score of 40.5 when you account for how long it ran, which- Bumps it up, I imagine, considerably. It, it bumps it up from 15th to 13th. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, right behind a Music Man, when you consider how long the show ran. So, yeah, so in our bottom half of shows, but not one of our worst shows. All right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for joining us, everyone. It was good to record again for the first time in a year. Yeah, it's just interesting to talk about this show right now. It just feels so irrelevant to my life, I guess. You know what I mean? You never have to think of it again. This was it. What's interesting is like it was beloved because it felt so relevant. Like it really felt like it was talking to the people in a way that I'm like so not interested. And, you know, part of that speaks to like me and my identity, but also like it's just fascinating. You know, the things that feel like relevant on Broadway right now are now so the opposite versus at the time this was like we're really talking about the world you know yeah i i i probably should have read those review excerpts earlier on in the episode just to give context to like why i was like sure. defending it as like a incisive satirical thing yeah it is and it's like i'm glad you have that text because it's a helpful way to kind of frame it yeah, yeah. anyway all right, well, we will see you all at some point in the future. Who knows when? Not another year. We're not going to wait another year to do a funny thing happen on the way to the forum. Stay safe, everyone. Yes, stay inside. Social distancing. <laughs> okay, say your sign-off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. I totally... I was like, why does this feel weird? Because uh, <laughs> we have a script. Be sure to subscribe to Broadway Binge on any podcast app, and you will get each episode as soon as it comes out. You can also find our episodes, along with links and pictures, at our website, broadwaybinge.podbean.com. And you can check us out on Twitter, at Broadway underscore binge, where you can join the conversation and leave us a tweet about what you thought of this show or think of this show, uh, which we might read on the air in a future episode. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, which will help more people discover the podcast. All right, bye, everyone. <laughs>